0: your faithfulness to us hallelujah hallelujah thank you jesus hallelujah hallelujah oh god i thank you i thank you i thank you i thank you thank you jesus hallelujah hallelujah praise Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, Lord, is what our hearts long for, to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, 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 glory. We worship you this morning, God. You are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. We lift your name, Jesus, way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper light in the darkness my God that is who you are hallelujah hallelujah you're the Alpha and the Omega hallelujah the beginning and the ending hallelujah you're on the right and you're on the left and you are above and you are beneath and you are inside and you are outside and you are through and through hallelujah all that is good and perfect comes from you father hallelujah hallelujah you know the beginning And the ending. You know the in between. Hallelujah. And you are in control of it all. Hallelujah. God, there is nothing that you cannot do. There is no right. Hallelujah. That you cannot wrong. There is no wrong, God, that you cannot right. Hallelujah. There is nothing that you cannot turn around, Lord. There is nothing that you can't undo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No door that you cannot open, Father. Hallelujah. And no closed door that you cannot open. Hallelujah. 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 You're not the author of confusion. Hallelujah. You are a God of order and a God of details. Hallelujah. 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 Father, you care about the most minute things about us, Father yes. God. And we honor you and we bless your holy name. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We welcome you in this place. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus, for the blood running warm in our veins. Thank you for the activity of our limbs, God. Hallelujah. Thank you for the breath in our lungs, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the ability to get up out of the bed and to be able to dress ourselves. Thank you, Father, for those of us that need help. God, you send us help. Hallelujah. Thank you that you don't you don't leave us to walk through any of these things alone lord god hallelujah lord you are worthy hallelujah you are worthy god you are worthy no matter what you are worthy hallelujah each and every day you are worthy through every circumstance god you are worthy hallelujah hallelujah Hallelujah. that you never leave us alone Hallelujah, you're a promise-keeping God, hallelujah. You have plans for us, God, plans to give us hope and a future. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Good morning, church, Hallelujah. hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to your mighty name, God, hallelujah, hallelujah. Bless your name, Jesus, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Have your way in this place, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The songs that we are going to do this morning, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to your name, Jesus. The songs that we're doing this morning, they talk to us about the promises of God and they also talk to us about uh, the hope that he gives us, right? And the reason that these these things are important, I was thinking about it, and one of the ways to me is through, through song lyrics and through music and stuff like that so I was just I was thinking about it and the, the one song is called promises and we know that God is not a man that he should lie so he makes promises because he plans on keeping them he does not waste words right and because he makes promises and he does not lie we can have hope in those promises because we know that his promises are what? Yes and amen, that means they are true. And there is not one thing about anything that God says that is not accurate or that is not detailed. He means what he says. So something else popped up in my head because sometimes when you are trying to think on the things of God, that's what the devil does. He wants attention too. And so what he said, tried to suggest to me was that what Benjamin Franklin said, there's only two things that are certain. That's death and taxes. But because God speaks to me in music, all of a sudden I hear one of these things is not like the other. One of these things that doesn't belong. Can you guess which one is doing their own thing, right? So somebody's lying because we've already seen him overturn death, right? And taxes We're not worried about taxes either Because they might come But we got the money to pay them Praise God So they're not certain either They don't have to take you down either The bottom line is God's word is yes and amen When he makes us a promise You can take that To any bank that you want Because it will always come to pass It doesn't say how But the how is not our business and the how is not our worry. But if he said it, know that it is a promise. Anything that comes out of the mouth of God is a promise because he always tells the truth. He will always tell the truth. So this morning. We are going to continue to worship him, not just for being a promise making God, but for being a promise keeping God and for being a promise keeping God that causes us to have hope. He can then deliver us hope because he does not lie, because he told us the truth already. So we have hope because he made us a promise and because he makes us promises, we can have hope. I know it doesn't seem it's not, you know, crazy deep, but it can go either way. The promise can come first, or the hope can come. It doesn't matter. They're related because he always tells the truth, and he will always deliver. So we're going to worship him for being a promise-making and a promise-keeping God and for giving us hope and then keeping that hope alive until the promise is fulfilled. In Jesus' name, hallelujah.
1: promises time and time again you have proven you'll do just what you said though the storms may come and the winds may blow I'll remain steadfast and let my heart learn when you speak a word it will come to Faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting sun, I will praise your. The
0: Bless your mighty name, Jesus. Glory, 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 glory. You're worthy of our praise, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
2: mighty. Your name is powerful. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is not one name, not cancer, not addiction, not depression, not unemployment, Lord God, not hatred, not hurt, not not not, not subjugation in the name of Jesus. There is nothing more powerful than Jesus's name. We don't have hope, my friends, in a philosophy. We don't have hope in a ideology. We don't have hope in a religion. We have hope in a risen king. His name is Jesus. Father, I know that even death couldn't hold Jesus down. And Jesus, if you could go through death, if you could handle hell, if you could take the wrath that was poured out by God the Father Almighty, then there is not one thing. We declare in this room not one thing not one sickness, not one disease, not one hurt, not one moment of shame, not one past guilt that is more powerful than the name of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. That's our hope. Jesus, you're our hope. You're our hope. We're not asking, Daddy, for a better church service. We're asking for you to manifest your presence in our lives today. That hope may come alive in us. That whatever it is, Daddy, whatever it is, Daddy, whatever it is. Whatever it is that has robbed us of hope. Whatever it is that stuck in there and convinced us it's everything but. Whatever deception and lie the enemy has sown into us. Father, we shatter those things in the name of Jesus. We disarm the principalities of powers. We disarm the lies of the enemy. We are believing today, we are believing today that chains are going to fall off in Jesus' name. There are things hidden, things unseen by our eyes, Lord God. But things that we've kept in the darkness that right now we pray, your light breaks through inside of them shatters the darkness, sets us free, because you are our hope, and there's none like Jesus. Jesus. So together, Lord God, we come to you, because we don't have hope in anything else. We can't find hope in the White House. We can't find hope anywhere else but in your house. So we come to you, and we pray this. Father, hear our prayer. Let your kingdom come in our lives. We surrender. That's why we lift up our hands. We surrender. We surrender. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in our lives, in this church, in our city, in our nation, in our world, as it is in heaven. Where it is perfect and pure. And beautiful and holy let your kingdom come let your will be done in Jesus name and together in faith we say amen and amen come on can we give God one shout of glory for who He is He's the king of kings and Lord of Lords Father you're worthy today. Holy are you Holy are you hallelujah Woo! oh good morning church how are you doing this morning? man, I love it I love it I love it shallow. So thankful. So thankful. I love that when Shay leads, she's not leading, she's not just telling us what to do. Because I think at times when we come to church, we're looking to be told what to do. But she stirs an atmosphere of faith. See that, that that's what happens when you walk in, and you're saying there's something out, there's something going on here. It's because there's an atmosphere of faith being stirred. It's just starting out praising him for who he is, and praising him for his goodness. And, Telling them that he's almighty. And there's something that happens. Life and death is in the power of our mouth. So one way or the other, we're going to be saying something about this morning. We're going to be saying something about our circumstance. We're going to be saying something about God. So my encouragement this morning is to allow your mouth to begin to stir up faith. To proclaim who he is, not where we are. Not even what's going on in us. Because it really doesn't matter because when he shows up, everything changes. Everything changes. That's why we're not looking for a cooler experience. We're looking for a, the power of his presence. And so I really want to invite you into that today. Invite you into this house. Because we're not, ju- we're not, we're not about anything else other than Jesus. Just trying to get in his presence. Just trying to praise them a little bit more than we did yesterday. Man, you know what I love? I love that the Bible says, make a joyful noise. Because unlike Shayla, I'm on that path. Make a joyful noise. That's like, that's, God doesn't even care whether you can sing or not. It's like, are you willing to just make a noise? Are you willing just to like, all right, shut up and, uh, you know, show up for God. That's beautiful. Well, I'm really glad that you made the choice to come this morning. Thank you for your time. Thank you for investing into your life. Thank you for investing into your generations, for those who are with you and those who will come after you. Because what's inside of us comes out of us, and it goes beyond us. So thank you for putting gas in your car today. Thank you for getting up early. Thank you for uh, coming. And if this is your first time, we want to say welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for being our guests. We hope that you consider making this place your home. We're really glad you're here. No matter how you came, give a shout out to all those who are online today. We love you guys. We know many of you are at home or still on vacation. Some of you are still suffering with with sickness. And give a shout out to one of our worship leaders, Tim and Margo. We love you guys. I know it's your anniversary. Uh, So just a shout out to you guys as well. But it's so good to be in the house of God. We're community here. This is a community. It's not a service. It's a community. So as you're fighting your seat, you just take a moment, just turn to somebody who's near you, say hi, give them an air high, give them a high five or a fist pump or whatever you feel comfortable with, but take a moment to say hi. Thankful for my brother Chris down here. Rocking the knee scooter. Gets out of surgery, still comes plays. He's awesome. Uh, Truly, it's amazing, right? Hey, one of the things before we hop into the Word today, because um, one of the things that makes us us, that we do, and it's not what a ministry of Connect does, it's what we do as Connect, is that we have an outreach of us, an extension of our community that's called Thy Kingdom Crumb. It's our mobile food truck ministry that, that goes out all over uh, the greater Philadelphia area and brings food. And we had a run, yet we had a great run yesterday. Um, and we do multiple things if you're not familiar with it. We, we, uh, sometimes we uh, have uh, uh, food distribution boxes for families, which we did yesterday. And sometimes we take our food truck out to places and give away free meals as well. But yesterday, we had a giveaway here in the parking lot, and uh, I think we served over 500 meals, and we saw eight people make decisions for Jesus Christ. Come on, because that's really what it's about, just making sure that we can love people with the love of Jesus and introduce them to Jesus, because it's not about giving away food, it's about giving away Jesus, finding ways to love on people and give away Jesus. But why why I'm saying that, not only just to let you know what goes on, because I know many of you know. But uh, one of the things I want to invite you to be a part of in various ways, in any way that you can, is it, on October 22nd, we have our TKC 5K. It's, uh, it's the crumb run, and this is just our way of being able to continue to raise money um, to make a difference. It's $30, and look, you can run, you can walk, you can bring your kids and push them around in strollers, and I, I, I'm going to be, I'm not running, but I'm going to be walking because... This body doesn't run in the shape that it's in. But this is a way, look, the more that we have come in, the more that we can have go out. And that $30, man, that that can feed four or five families. Four or five families. And that's important in our world today and it's gonna be more important as our world continues. And so, I I just, uh, I know Pastor John, he was talking to me this week about, you're preparing for this thing. I am. Yeah. And can I and say And you love something? running. You love running. You, are, running you are, is love running. the
3: worst thing ever. So I grew up in the era of the presidential fitness test. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know if, who else remembers yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they did the thing where, like, you were in recess, and they took away recess, yeah. and you had to do a run. And yeah. I was always, always the slowest <laughs> kid. And by the end, it's like,
2: <laughs> oh. Yep, this is my run, this is what you're gonna get from
3: me. And I never, like it was awful, but I hate running. So I set a goal for myself. I said, you know what, I know it's not about the run. Yeah, exactly. It's not about the physical activity, while the physical activity is beneficial for my life and health right. and all of those great things right. that we all know and ignore when we keep scrolling through all the news articles that we read. I recognize that it's about being an opportunity to be the community. And to then extend the community Correct. to others. Yeah, that's really good, John. And so for me, I said, all right, I'm going to, I, w- I want to try to do this. So I've been like, started with jogging a mile. And then each week I was increasing by a quarter of a mile. And this week I ran two and three quarters of a mile. So I'm almost awesome. at the 5K, which is, well, Enough. I didn't run it. I jogged it. But it was more than this
2: by the end of it.
3: Yeah. But I love what we get to do as a community. Exactly, yeah. That's right. And I love the opportunity to be together. Yep. And so I know that there's some people that like maybe physically are not able to run it. Yep. That's okay. Yeah. I keep teasing Chris that he should come on his knee scooter <laughs> um, and scoot around. But I know like some there, there's some families that we know that are their kids are coming on their scooters and they're going to yeah. walk it. Yeah. But it's an opportunity for us to be present in the community. Correct. And for us to be together as a community, That's to incredible. resource our community. Yeah,
2: it's really good. And, th- and that's, that's part of what we can all do. The truth is, maybe you can't uh, actively be a part of it, but there's going to be a lot of community there. So just come. Come hang out on that day. Come be a part of it. Uh, come encourage someone. Bring your faith. Bring your testimony. Come and sit, grab some food out of the truck, even if you can't run, and talk to somebody about Jesus. It's just that you can pray, you can bring somebody, you can talk to p- people in your workplace about this. Every little thing matters. So, you know, whether you're going to be like John out there running the 5K at full speed. Come on, somebody. He, he texted me last night, I need good running shoes. And I was like, you're asking the wrong person. But, um, but I appreciate the faith. Uh, but look, Or whether you're just walking your kids or being there. Or just signing up and saying, you know what, I'm going to donate 30 bucks because I know that it's going to make a difference to someone's life. Can you please help us be part of this community? This isn't what TKC does. This is what we do at Connect. That's part of the community life. Amen? Amen. 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 All right, give Pastor John a hand. Love this dude. He's doing fantastic. Well, are you guys ready for the Word? Are you ready to hop in the Word? Because I'm ready ready for the Word this morning. If you, since you brought your Bible, why don't you open with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's written by Matthew, who who is an apostle. But he was a tax collector who then becomes a follower of Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And if you need a title for today's message, it's New Beginnings. New beginnings, because this is the time of year kind of where we start thinking about getting back to normal, right? Summer's over, school is back, kids are going back to school. We're trying to re- redo our schedule, figure out what is the new normal. Uh, and, and, and for some of us, it's, it's really getting back to what is something new that's going to kick in. And I, I want to maybe encourage us that in this consideration today... Is to uh, consider a new beginning in your walk with Jesus. No matter if you've never had a walk with Jesus yet or you've been walking with Him for 50 years, can I encourage you maybe to consider a new beginning with your walk? When I I, I think about new, uh, I'm always uh, encouraged by some of the verses, some of the powerful verses that God talks about about new seasons in life. Like like 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that says when we're in Christ, we are a new creation, right? The old is gone, the new has come. It, it, it's saying that it's not about a better me. It's about a new me. Like when I come to Jesus, there shouldn't just be a better cleaned up me and there should be a new me. I love it. He says in Ezekiel 36, 26, he said, I'm going to put inside of you a new heart and a new spirit. That means God wants to do something internally new that is expressed externally in a new way. One of my favorites is found in Isaiah 43, 19, where the Bible says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. It springs forth. Can you not perceive it? I love that question. Can you, are you awake today to perceive what God wants to do in your life? What he's saying is that he can actually make a new path in an old wilderness and bring streams in the middle of a desert. That God can do something powerful. And I love it because these verses remind us that God has seasons of personal transition for us, for personal transitions for us. Right? There are seasons where He's not tr- simply trying to make us into a better, better than who we were or better than what we used to be. He's trying to make something new inside of us. But the question is, in these seasons, which I believe God tries to bring in our life quite frequently. The question is, how do we respond? What do we do when God is maybe challenging us or inviting us into a new season of life? Because change is scary. It means that we have to leave the comfort of where we've been and maybe step out into something unfamiliar. And that's why this text really encourages me. Because this text uh, is about Matthew's response to Jesus' invitation to something new. Now, now, Jesus was, I mean, Matthew was a tax collector, right? That means he wasn't a good dude. He, he, he sided with the Romans and he stole from his own people. In, in modern day terms, he would be what we would consider kind of a made man, a, a, a mafia type of role. Not, not really looked up to as a spiritual giant. And yet, Jesus comes by and with two words. Two words. Not a sermon. Not a dialogue. Two words, follow me. He offers him a new beginning in the season of life. And how Matthew responded changed everything. And how we respond today to those same two words has the same power to change everything in our lives as well. Because Jesus is here with those two words for you and I follow me. Did you notice he didn't say be better? Be nicer, Sinless. He said, follow me. So how we respond like Matthew has the potential to change everything in our life in a, in a glorious way for God's glory. Let's look at this text. Maybe we can be encouraged by it a little bit differently in our lives, but... In verse nine it says, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Man, you can underline that whole sentence right there. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn, learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Man, can I just stop and just say, what a beautiful picture that is. What a beautiful picture of the king and the kingdom. Because it helps us to remind us what we were saved from, but also, church, what we were saved for. Because you and I were not just saved from something, we were saved for something. And that forced something is not simply to live in the comfort of seclusion with a small group of people, certain people that are like us, but in an active inclusion of all people by loving them with the love of Jesus that you and I so freely received. My, 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 my cry, my hope is, is the heartbeat, I believe, of Jesus for his church in this world today that what marks this new season of our life is not better Christianity. It's not simply better church services. I pray that the season of life that we are stepping into is marked by the love of Jesus. That our church, that our life is marked that people experience Jesus by being loved by the ones who have received the love of Jesus. You wanna talk about new beginnings Matthew encounters Jesus and immediately begins to change his season. He gets up from the tax collector's booth and he begins to follow Jesus. Now, now this is a step of faith because he was in a lucrative job. Mm. He had high earning potential, he had a place of power over people. That is very, very enticing, especially in our world today. How can I climb the corporate ladder? But he gets to this place, and his response to Jesus meant that he had to risk stepping into something new and leaving behind something he once knew, something that once made him successful. There's a season in following Jesus where we need to leave some booths behind. Man, I really encourage us, I think, especially in our world today, in our world that we're living in, that we can leave behind the booth of negativity? The booth that says, man, things are never gonna change? Maybe, maybe the booth of apathy, that says, I'm not really sure I want things to change? How about the booth of spiritual piety? I don't believe I have anything to change, but I'm sure I hope God changes someone else. How about the booth of familiarity? Familiarity is when we are so comfortable with where we've been and what we've done and how we've gotten there, even in our walk with Jesus, because some of us have been walking with Jesus so long, we just got so comfortable in it that we don't realize we haven't left the booth in a long time. We're still sitting at the seat. But my friends, every resurrection is preceded by a crucifixion. We all want the resurrection power of Jesus. We, we want the resurrection power and life to flow inside of us, but every resurrection is preceded by a crucifixion. That's why Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Jesus. It starts with a self-denial, a self-crucification of self. The life I now live, I live in faith in the Son of God. See, that's what discipleship really is. It's replacing the self with Jesus. It's continually, this new beginning that we're talking about, is continually, daily, replacing self with Jesus. How do I replace self today with Jesus? You know, for me, one of the most beautiful things in this text is that he didn't respond to a message. It wasn't a great sermon. There wasn't any worship set. It was just Jesus. And that was enough. The reality is, my friends, if Jesus isn't enough to cause us to follow, then when whatever prop we needed to cause us to follow vanishes, we are in danger of going back and taking a seat. Whatever prop we needed. That's why Sundays can be so dangerous in our life when we're looking for Sunday to be the prop that props up our spiritual life. That props me up. Because on Sunday we get on fire for God, but by Tuesday we're back at the tax collector's booth. Because, my friends, we can, it's not about a prop. It's about a presence. We cannot build this new life in Christ on a prop. We need to build it on his presence. One of my favorite ser- uh, uh, stories in the, in the Bible uh, is in Luke chapter 2. And you're, you may be familiar with it, but it's when Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, do you remember the story? They leave him. Remember that, that he's a young boy. He's 12. He hasn't had his bimissel yet. And they take him to the feast in Jerusalem. And they're, they're there. They have a great time worshiping and having a great time in their church world. And then They leave. And the Bible says they did not know Jesus was not with them. Why? Because they were walking with all the same people they've always walked with. They were around everything that had always made them comfortable. They were walking the same path that they had walked before that had got them there. And they didn't recognize there was no presence. See, my friends, the... The, the danger is when you and I rely on props to prop up our spiritual life, we will end up in a set. Yeah. Dee and I, a few years ago, we had an opportunity to go to Universal Studios in California. We took a tour, and on that tour, we got the chance to, to go to the Friends set. Now, if you grew up in the 90s, yeah, that's pretty exciting. It was Central Perk, right? So we got to go there. They had the couch. You got to sit there take selfies. It was really cool. But I understood it was a set. I was not expecting Joey or Phoebe or Rachel Green to come walking in. Mm. But see, when life, when we're in the midst of life and we need the presence of Jesus to show up, to walk in the doors, but we have built our life on props, we're in trouble. There's this, one of the saddest stories for me is found in 1 Samuel 4, where Phineas' his wife Here's that the ark of the covenant has been taken by the Philistines. She goes into labor. She births a child and she names him Ichabod, which simply means the presence is gone. The presence is gone. She raises this child. She nurtures this child. She creates a life with this child. All while proclaiming there's no presence, there's no presence, there's no presence. Come on, church. This is what can be in our lives when we build our Christianity on the props of Sunday, on the props of people, on the props of of things in our world, but not the presence. We cannot afford in this season, in our world that we're living in, to raise up children Spiritual lives that are crying, Ichabod, 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 I've got a life, but there's no presence. The truth is, all new beginnings start with an encounter to leave something behind and follow. To make his presence the priority. It's a reshaping of our personal culture into kingdom culture. And I think at times that's the difference between believers and disciples that we've been talking about. The difference is found in this aspect of what we desire to be reshaped by following. The issue is not whether or not believers or disciples follow. It's what are we hoping is reshaped when we follow. I think the challenge in our world today is that believers want Jesus to make them into a better version of their past self. But disciples want their past selves to be made more into the likeness of Jesus. The trap that we can fall in in our world today, the challenge is that as believers, we want Jesus to make us, our, uh, make us into a better version of our past selves. Now, this sounds like semantics, but it's not. Because at the core is our motivation behind what we are following Jesus for. What are we following Jesus for? How do we determine the benefits of following him? How do we determine the benefits of coming to church or giving him our lives? How do we determine those benefits? Don't you think it's interesting? I was talking to some of our guys about this a little while ago. Don't you think it's interesting that Jesus doesn't make Matthew his accountant? Like, can we agree that he was probably the most qualified To deal, to know how to deal with money, how to deal with accounts. But I know somebody in here is probably saying, I know, but he he might steal. Jesus gave the money to Judas, who did steal. Maybe, can I just suggest, maybe it's because he doesn't want to make him a better version of his past self, but into a brand new person. Maybe he wasn't trying to make Matthew a better accountant. Just more cleaned up at what he had done. Just more equipped at being better and nicer and more Christ in the way that he did things. Maybe he was inviting him into a brand new life. One who would give to history and not steal from it. One who would actually sacrifice for his people rather than sacrifice people for his own benefit. Maybe someone who would be a part of building the kingdom rather than actually taking from it. This is the new beginning that I believe God offers all of us. And this verse reminds us that He doesn't always call us to a place our talents would normally take us, right. Right. but takes us to a place He can empower His calling. Right. So often when we think about new beginnings with God or living a life of Christ with God, we look at our talents and our liabilities. What can I do? What, what is God, how, how can I do this better for God? That's what Moses did. In Exodus chapter 4, do you remember God shows up in the burning bush and he's like, hey Moses, I have a great idea for you. I want you to set some captives free. Matter of fact, that's the same calling that we have. God is calling each one of us as Christ followers to be a part of setting captives free in our workplace, in our homes, right? In our neighborhoods, in our world, to be a part of that. And what was Moses' first response? Can't do it. I don't have the ability because like us, he was looking at his proficiency and liability, but God looks at our availability. Moses was saying, God, but I have a lisp. I, 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 I can't do it. I've been hurt when I was younger. When he was younger, he, a coal had touched his tongue, and so he couldn't speak very well. And, and I think so often the enemy uses the pains from our past, the hurts from our childhood. Maybe the hurts when we were younger Christians to make us feel disqualified for service, but even more than that, unsafe in the service of God. Because we are seeing this opportunity through the lens of self, the lens of our limitations that we carry, the lens of the hurt that we've been through. But here's what I want to really encourage you with today, just like with Matthew. Whatever God calls you to, He doesn't call you to do it alone. If you notice, with, with 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 Moses, it's the same with us. God sends Aaron. God sends the high priest. He sends the high priest to go with Moses to do what Moses couldn't do. My friends, this is a picture of you and I. This is a picture of Christ and his disciples. God sends the high priest. We have a high priest in the order of Mechizeldeck who actually carried in his own blood into the Holy of Holies and set us free. God does not actually send us to do this alone. This new beginning, it's not based on your liability. It's based on his ability to use you if you're available. He sends the high priest with you Jesus is the staff in our right hands Jesus is the words that proceed from our mouth Jesus was the mover of Pharaoh and the separator of seas Romans eight thirty one says if God is for us who can be against us but that even says deeper since God is with me who can stand against me why are we so limiting our view well I don't know what I can do I don't know what I can't do I'm not sure God Come on, the issue is, my friends, we want the better us so much because how we identify ourselves and how we find value in ourselves is through the identification of ourselves. My truth, my Jesus, my success, my job, my dreams. And it starts with us. It's the wrong place to start. It's what Jezebel did all the time. In the Old Testament, Jezebel, who was queen, would always do this with King Ahab. She would always say to Ahab, "Uh, yeah, but you're the king. Do whatever you want. You're the king. Do whatever you want. She wasn't telling him, hey, you're holy. Be holy. Hey, you're called to serve the people. Serve the people. Hey, you're called to elevate community. Elevate community. She was saying, you're the king. Do what you want. There's this story in 1 Kings 21 where Naboth has a vineyard that is next to the kings, and it's awesome. And this is a message for a different day. But Naboth's uh, vineyard was so awesome, Ahab wanted it. So he offers him anything he wants for it. And Naboth says, I can't do it because I can't give away my inheritance. Come on, somebody. Come on, that's a message for it. I I will not sell out my inheritance, no matter who asks, no matter what position they're in. It doesn't matter what the upside is. I will not sell out my inheritance. So this is what Jezebel does. Ahab come back. He's all sad. Jezebel shows up. She goes, why are you sad? You're the king. Do what you want. So they kill Naboth. They kill his whole family. And they take the vineyard. Because of this, this, God says you're going to end up as dog poop. That's what he says. He said you're going to die and dogs are going to come eat you. See, this is what I know. The dog poop path. I've got to get dog poop in here somewhere. Starts with defining ourselves from who we believe we are, not who God has created us to be. A better me is a trap of modern Christianity. A better me. This is where discipleship comes in. Because disciples want their past selves to be made more into the likeness of Jesus. But to be honest, there's a risk to this. This is the place of risk. It's not following that's the risk, but what happens when what we're following for is actually to become more like Jesus. Because that's the risk. Because the Jesus of this text is inclusive. Jesus goes beyond himself, and he's looking for the benefit of others. He's invasive. Man, he invades the opportunities that he has with the kingdom of God at every turn. He is transformative. Yup, he is love incarnate, but he is a transformational force that is purposed to bring the transformation of God into every area of people's lives. The reality is, I think, when we look at that, that being inclusive is challenging for you and I, when self is at the center. Because the very nature of inclusion means that we have to go beyond self. So it's hard. And when becoming a better self is the goal, we will always see others as a means to take from what can be ours. Others will be a threat. So what's going on in our world today. It's going on in our nation. As we become more of a melting pot... What you're hearing is this voice of a threat. It's what's going on in churches today. Because it seeps in to what and who we are. Because people of different generations and different ethnicities and different backgrounds are challenging to us, whoever the us that we are is. Because there's a belief that they don't have the same things in mind and the same value propositions that we do. They desire different things. And so we can see it as diminishing us or diminishing our chance to be a better us. Now stay with me. Unless, unless they are willing to come in and be like us. Then we're cool with it. That means they need to learn to speak our language. Do you realize church has a language? They have to worship like us, dress like us, act like us, see life like us, and then we're okay with them being included with us, just so that they fit into the system of bettering us, because in our minds, we will say, well, of course that works out, because if they're bettering us, it will better them. Doesn't quite work out like that. But Jesus is inclusive, not for self at all, but for the benefit of others. This is the risk. When I have to start with this, the benefit that I live for is not the benefit of myself. It means that there are things I'm going to be uncomfortable with. Things that I actually may have to lay down. Things that maybe I used to actually value highly that I have to reprioritize in my value ethos. Why? Because others. Because others. Because others matter. I was talking with this with our team. Uh, our pastoral team this week. And I was telling them about this picture that in our generation, we live kind of in four, four, four generations right now that have kind of influence. And baby boomers, they want God to make them better achievers because that's how they were raised, that achieving things was where they became valuable. Now, they're probably at the age where they are stopped achieving, but they want God to protect everything that they have already achieved. That's why that they are so adamant about the American dream, about the American way of life. Why? Because they fought for it. They died for it. They achieved it. So they're saying, God, make everyone like this. Gen Xers, we're asking God to make us better earners. God, make us better earners. Why? Because that's how success and worth is measured in our generation. That's why Gen Xers are in the messages on prosperity and leadership and personal development and mentorship. They don't want discipleship. They want mentorship. Why? Because that makes me better at the job I've got, not the person I am. Millennials are saying, God, make us better cooperators. Help more people get on board with what matters to me. Because they love to talk about equal input and collaboration, but not so much about activity into that opportunity. Gen Zers, they're just saying, God, make people have better balance in their life. And their view on balance isn't always a godly balance, but it's better than balance than their parents or grandparents, because that didn't work. Because they realize that free time is as important to them as any money could be, promotion or climbing a corporate ladder. Here's the problem. Can you find yourself in any of those generations, by the way? Okay, good. Do you have problems with some of the other generations? Good. Now we're all honest. Awesome. God, Jesus is here to say, follow me. There's a new beginning. The problem that we have to grab a hold of today is that our generations deceive us into believing that how we see life is at the center and should be drawing all people to its truth. It's like the gravitational pull starts with how our generation lives. But Jesus is about putting the kingdom at the center and seeing life from that perspective. So the trap for Christians is this. We will follow Jesus as long as he is leading people to our central truth. But disciples see those around the table from a different place. Not from where we are, like the Pharisees saw people at that meal, but from who Jesus is. Can I encourage you, my friends, the reality is if we could see the power of the generations through kingdom eyes and see how we are meant to undergird each other. We've been talking about this verse in Forge, our men's discipleship groups. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit to one another out of your love for Jesus. That word submit means to stand under. It's the picture of, of, of pillars under a bridge. It's to get behind the purpose of people, a godly purpose of people, and support it. Man, if we could only be that, if we could see that, man, boomers could inspire us to go places and achieve things in this for the kingdom that we've never even dreamt of before. Or maybe are too scared to venture into. And Gen Xers could help us finance it and put together financial strategies to achieve those things. And millennials could collaborate and, 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 and think of innovative ideas that could help us do these things Together and Gen Xers could help us to step into those things with godly balance so that we don't burn up or burn out like so many generations in the past have done. But it's not about a better us, it is about a better kingdom that needs to be our focus. We're trying to make it about a better us, he's trying to make it better for all of us a better kingdom. Come on, can we be honest? Jesus' inclusion of tax collectors and their kind would offer him no social advantage. Matter of fact, it would put him, open him up for social criticism. Yeah. Yet Jesus was more interested in kingdom culture than he feared cancel culture. Now you and I think that we have a cancel culture and how bad it is. We know nothing of cancel culture compared to him. Do you realize in his world, the Pharisees and Sadducees could decide Who you could and couldn't have a relationship with, who you could and couldn't eat with, that that person was not even worthy enough to come into your house to say hello to, to touch on the way, to shake their hand when they walked down the street. Not only that, but they could decide that you were so unclean, you couldn't be in the presence of God. You couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't sacrifice. You can't worship. You want to talk about the power of a cancel culture? That is what a cancel culture looks like. But Jesus understood that through his inclusion, under that roof there were generations that could help each other. Because redeemed tax collectors could have taught Pharisees how to have compassion for people. And redeemed Pharisees could have taught tax collectors how to have passion for God. And the disciples could have taught all of them the words of Jesus. And Jesus could have taught them the way to the Father. See, Jesus shows us in this text that the priority of the kingdom of God is not a better self, but a deprioritization of self. It's about giving away self. And the, in this purpose, it's to include others. And when we include others, it's a reflection of the grace that we've received. Because the Bible says grace is not a concept. Grace is a person. John 1, 17 says grace and truth came in Jesus. So that when we actually give away grace, we're not introducing people to a philosophy, a religion, or an ideology. We're opening up a door for them to actually encounter a person. His name's Jesus. Grace. But the reality is that following Jesus and being made more like him means that we're going to probably find ourselves both in more situations where we might be the minority. But also, like Matthew, in situations where we are called to include others in an intentional way for them to meet Jesus. Did you notice that Matthew throws a meal where the 12 are the minority? The 12 are the minority. But Pastor, you don't understand. In my workplace, there aren't other Christians. Awesome, you're in the right house. Because you don't need a prop. You need some presents. Yeah, but you don't understand. In my family, I'm the only one saved. Oh, you're in the right place. Come on, somebody. Because Jesus, you don't need any props. You need his presence. The the 12 were the minority there. But Matthew had taken the risk to invite loads of people he worked with to meet Jesus. Because true grace will never allow us to eat of its bounty alone, but moves us to share it generously with others. Who are we setting the table for? Who's at our table? Are we counting on a prop or a presence to lead them to the king? See, here's the truth. At every table and every season, there will be three voices at each table. The voices of past success, there are tax collectors there who said, Man, why are you changing? You've always been successful. Keep doing what you're doing. The voices of present shame, they're the Pharisees. Always going to remind you why you're disqualified. Why you shouldn't be able to do what God has called you to do. And then there's the voice of purposed grace. The voice of Jesus. Saying, man, how can we bring grace? How can we bring truth? How can we show compassion? How can we manifest mercy into the lives of those people at this table? Because that's the only thing that matters in this moment. Because the doctor comes for the sick. And the only power to heal the sick comes from the gospel of grace. Acts 4:12 says there is no other name in heaven and earth that people can be saved, healed, transformed and delivered. It is the name of Jesus. It is not so that they like Christians better. It is not so they like our political views better. It is not so that they want to come to church more. It is so that they can meet the one who can save them, transform them, set them free, heal them from their depression, sickness and diseases, and raise them up into a new life. This is why we're called to set the table. Matthew, following Jesus, invades the opportunity with that purpose grace. He risks bringing the kingdom into his house, into his place of comfort, into his refuge. He risks bringing it into his professional life, into the life of his friends, because his focus was not on how do I receive more of this grace, but how do I become a conduit of this grace. Disciple, that's where we live. That's the new beginning. How, how, how? But my husband doesn't believe. Great, awesome. How do I become a conduit of grace? Yeah, but my friend, man, they've been hurting church. Awesome. I get it. How do I become a conduit of grace? But I work for an atheist. Fantastic. How do I become a conduit of grace? Did you notice, my friends, that he immediately opens his home? This is a shift in priority, not placement. He brings them into his house. Instead of him going into someone's house and taking from them, he brings them into his house so he can give away what he's got. He didn't need to go anywhere. The transformation wasn't found in going, it was found in following. So he had to reprioritize what he had and who he was so that he could use that to bring glory to Jesus. Come on, there are people in our spheres of influence that Jesus has opened up for us by opening doors in our vocation and location. So that we can actually introduce them to a God of grace. Not religion. Not a politicized, American, Christianized agenda. Jesus. 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 Presence, not prop. But if all we have is props, my friends, and not presence, they'll see right through it. And we will be a part of reinforcing what the world and the enemy has always taught them that Christianity is just a fantasy. It's not real. It's just filled with props. My football coach once told me that when you're mentally or emotionally weak, you turn to one of three things, drugs, alcohol, or Jesus, because Jesus is a prop. But following Jesus, my friends, means we live a life of purposed invasion. Jesus said, and uh, the word says in John 1, 14 that the word became flesh and he invaded our presence. It was purposed. You and I as disciples, we have to understand we've been invited into a new beginning of purposely invading people's situations with grace, with compassion, with love. Jesus isn't moved by our sacrifice. He's not moved by what we've done for him. He's moved by the compassion and grace we manifest with him. Man, we can see this in the Bible in Acts chapter 18. The Apostle Paul, the Bible says he's a tent maker, so he finds other tent makers and he he, he hangs out with them. He purposely puts himself in a position to share Jesus with people. It's true he preaches in church. It's true he does miracles. But his daily life, he purposed to get around people, not to have a business. His business was people. So he got in the world of people and brought to with them the presence that he carried, which was Jesus. That's what TKC is about. It's why we do it. It's not simply to address food insecurity, but to invade our culture with the love of Jesus. Man, years ago, I was so frustrated. i got to be honest. I was frustrated that, man, our world and our culture, our community wasn't really affected by our Christianity. So Danielle and I planted a cooler church. And church really grew for a long time being cooler because it, it grew with Christians because this was just a better place than the last church that they were in. But can I be honest? The community still didn't take notice. Community still didn't take notice. And it was so easy for me to do this. Blame the Northeast culture. Blame postmodernity, Blame secularism. Blame generations. But then I had to actually read the word. And wrestle with what Jesus said. In John 13, 35. They will know you're my disciple when you love somebody. Right. Yeah. Not when you have cool lights. Not when you have better seats. Not when you have an awesome sound system or a great worship set. They will know the world will be affected when we actually start to love somebody. Not props, but presence. This is the transformation of discipleship. Moving from sitting in a seat of control sitting at our own tax booth, to sitting at a table of faith. Not knowing what's going to happen, but knowing Jesus moves in the midst of faith when faith is activated. When when Matthew took a step of faith and invited his friends, when Matthew took a step of faith and brought people who could have crucified him, could have killed him, could have canceled him, could have made fun of him, when he brought him into his own home, his place of refuge, his hideout, his safety spot, when he brought him into that, man, Jesus walked among the party. Jesus showed up. The call of discipleship is a call to take these risks of faith. In modern Christianity, have we fallen into the trap that we have all the trappings of the party? We have great music at our parties. We've got an amazing house to have a party in. Our party's filled with all sorts of different people. We are feasting on more spiritual word than we uh, spiritual food than we know what to do with. But have we created a table of faith? Faith. Like when the friends of the paralyzed man, they wouldn't stop until they tore through the roof because they knew they needed, their, their friend needed a breakthrough. They were burdened with his burden. And they said, man, I'm not going to stop. I don't care what it takes. I don't care what people think. Man, I'm going to go full on, full out. I'm going to pick up my brother. I'm going to carry his burdens with me. Am I my brother's keeper? You're darn right you are. Pick up, the, pick up the litter and walk him. Climb up to the top of a roof. Tear off the roof. Do whatever we've got to do. Get some bloody hands. Rip off our nails. Make sure that we are sweating. And lower that man before Jesus. Get him in the presence of Jesus. Because my faith can't heal him. Your faith can't heal. Him, but my faith can create a place where he can meet Jesus who can heal him. Yeah. Yeah. Disciples, it's not our job to introduce people to better props. Right. Because when we introduce them to better props, we set them up for fantasy. It's presence. Presence. We're almost done. Many of you know I love to read about heroes of faith. I was reading, again, the story of one of my heroes of faith, Corey Ten. Corey was a young woman who spent years in Ravensbrook concentration camp during World War II. In that camp, she lost her sister. She had already lost her family. And after the war ended, she was set free. She was preaching in churches, talking about the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. And after one Sunday night when she preached, a man came towards her. (laughs) She recognized him. Not for the clothes that he had on, but for the clothes he used to wear, the one with the swastika on the sleeve and the whip at the belt. And that man strode up to her and stuck out his hand to her to shake her hand. And she said, in that moment I was paralyzed, I didn't know what to do. But I had just preached on forgiveness. I had just preached on the grace of God that had changed my life. She said, I was so conflicted inside. And she said this. She said this to God. She said, God, I know I will take the chance. I know I can lift up my hand to meet his. But you have to change my heart to forgive him. And she said this, the moment she lifted her hand to grab a hold of his, the spirit did something inside of her heart, and she began to cry. And she grabbed a hold of that man and said, I forgive you with all of my heart. And they just clung to each other and cried and cried. she said it was one of the most powerful moments of her entire life. And she had seen people healed and raised from the dead and set free. And she said, here it is. All I had to do was extend a hand. God did the rest. That, my friends, is what Jesus looks like. That's what Christianity is today. It is looking at our world and saying everyone is pointing fingers. Everyone is pushing people away unless they look like us, dress like us, think like us. But Jesus is saying, I know who you really are. I've seen you with your swastika. I've seen you with your whip. I've seen you in your worst hour. But your hand is extended. Let me extend my hand and God can do the rest. That's what Christianity is. Jesus said it this way. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life away as a ransom for others. We've been given the power to set the captives free, but we have to take the risk of seeing the captives, including the captives, loving on the captives, and maybe even reprioritizing our lives so that we can be a part of setting the captives free. I believe that there are men and women in this room, men and women who are listening online, who have been behind their tax collector's booth for too long. Don't get me wrong, you're really good at it, you're prospering it, but Jesus is saying to you and maybe has been saying to you for a long time, follow me, follow me. There are men and women who have a call in their life to impact young men and women for this kingdom. Follow me. Leave the booth. There are men and women in this room that are called to have, throw parties and bring people to your house, not so that you can be known as the party house, but so that you can actually introduce them to Jesus around a meal. Who can maybe look at your work world and say, let me reprioritize the way that I see my job It's not so that I could be a better earner or a better achiever or even a better collaborator. It's so that I can actually be a disciple and extend the hand and bring grace into that moment. What do I have to reprioritize to get self out of the way and the Savior in his righteous place? Have you ever thought about what your life could look like? actually did follow him what could it really look like not what is it not how could it be better but what if what we really sought after was not the props of Christianity or the prophets of Christianity but the presence of Christ himself could our life have the peace and the joy And the love and the fullness that we are so desperately seeking in every other place but not finding it? If he was prioritized as the center? I don't need a cooler church. I've been there, done that. I don't need a better place. I don't even need nicer people. I'M LOOKING FOR A FEW PEOPLE WHO'LL RAISE THEIR HAND AND SAY, I'M READY TO FOLLOW. I'M IN. HIS PRESENCE IS WORTH THE PRICE OF CHANGING OUR PRIORITIES. HE IS THE HOPE OF THE WORLD. THERE IS NO OTHER NAME THAT WILL SAVE YOUR CHILDREN, YOUR GRANDCHILDREN your great-grandchildren. There is no other name that will break that generational curse of addiction or alcoholism or divorce or adult. It was no other name. But it's not a prop that will change it. It was his presence at that party that changed everything. Can we pray? Presence. Oh, God. Holy Spirit. Jesus, we know you've come to this booth today, and I know you're saying follow you. Help us to get up out of the booth that we've been in for so long and seek your presence. My friend, this whole message has been an altar call, an invitation. To something more than just a Christianized life more than just becoming a better version of your past self to actually stepping into something you can't be without Jesus so Jesus is standing in this place like he was with Matthew and he's asking you today he simply says follow me Now you make the decision. And maybe for some of us in this room, the decision is really a first time decision to say yes to Jesus, to be willing to make him the Lord and Savior of our life because we've been trusting in our goodness or trusting in our church or trusting in our background or trusting in the way that we were raised. But the Bible says there's none good, no, not one. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. It's a gift. So maybe today that first step to following him is just accepting him as Lord and Savior. And we're going to pray for that in just a second. But maybe you've prayed that prayer before. But if you are honest, somewhere along the way, you settled back down at your tax collector booth. And the Spirit has been wooing you and wooing you and wooing you and wooing you and I believe there's someone online right now. They've been wooing you. He's been wooing you and wooing you. And you've given them every excuse about why you can't, why it's not the time, why you're not qualified, you're not able, you have a lisp, you're not able to do it. Today's the day to surrender all that. Get up and follow. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me. No matter where you are, make this a moment of declaration between you and God. Imagine yourself when you're praying this, standing up. Maybe you want to stand up. Maybe when you start to pray, and this is your prayer, if you just stand up like Matthew stood up, something changes. There's something in us that's going to say, yes, I'm standing up. There's a change. Imagine yourself standing up stepping out. Can you pray with me? Just say, dear Lord Jesus, here I am. I'm choosing today to follow you. With all I've got, I'm holding nothing back. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. To forgive me of all my sin. Forgive me for all those times I controlled my own life. I am choosing from this day to follow you. To live for your glory. To live for your honor to take a risk, to live in faith, believing that you will receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. So I stand up, I stand up, I step out, I am following you in Jesus name. Come on, and everybody said amen and amen and amen. Come on, can we give God some glory? (laughs) Hallelujah, Lord God, thank you for lives that are being changed in this room. Father, I thank you that there are lives that are to be changed. I I thank you that there are generations that are going to be changed. I believe that there are choices that are being made right here and right now to unlock generational change. Generational change. Help us to Start with you and not us. To prioritize your kingdom and not our desire. To truly mean what we prayed earlier. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives. We give you the glory. I give you the honor. I give you the praise, Jesus. I give you the praise. Let there be a new season. Let there be a new beginning. Let there be a new stirring of the Holy Spirit in this room. Let your spirit fall on people, releasing new gifts, Lord God. New prophetic, new prophetic voices. Let there be new passions. Let the gift of God be stirred up that have grown cold inside of people today. Let it burn with a blazing fire that can't be quenched. Holy Spirit, come. Come and fall. Come and move. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm so glad you came to church today. Thank you for letting me share that with you. That word is as much for me and Danielle as it is for anybody in this room. There's always going to be a voice that calls you back to the success you've had. There's always going to be a voice that tells you you're not worthy to step in to the new beginning that God has. And there will always be a voice of the one who says, if you go, I'll go with you even to the end of the age. If you prayed that prayer today in here or online, we have books for you that Pastor Rick right over here wrote. They're just, will help you understand the decisions that you made and how to take that forward. So after service, before you head out, just just take a moment, get up from your seat, your booth, walk over and just talk to them for a moment. And if you're online, you can find the link there and we'll send these to you free because we believe that they'll help you grow in God. The last thing we want to do before we go today is going to ask Pastor Kevin to come on up. Pastor Kevin and Lisa oversee our kids and family ministry here. They are absolute rock stars. They're fantastic. I love this dude. I love you too. I love you, dude. This is a random note. I this is a
4: pre-pandemic shirt. Wow. And I was able to. Fit wow. Into it. The jeans are still tight, but the shirt fits. <laughs> so we're just going to count our victories where we can get them from, right? So I get to encourage us in our tithe Come and offerings on. here uh, this morning, Pastor Kyle. Thank you for that word. <sighs> Thank you for that message. Can we give our pastor a hand of like for that message? Thank you for not sharing, giving us the end, happily ever after. Thank you for sharing the story, the journey with us on how we as a people can occupy all that God has for us to occupy. So thank you so much. Um, So, if you're giving, you got multiple ways to give. There's envelopes. If you're near an envelope, great. If you're not, hand your neighbor an envelope so that now they're near one. Uh, There's online you can give, and there's a QR code that you can give online. You already are online, so you can just open up a tab and give. Um, But while you're giving, I just want to encourage us. Um, Recently, I've been challenged by Matthew uh, in the the book, in the Word. specifically where it says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Spiritually we know, hey man, I gotta give the Lord 10%. I gotta be generous with what I give him because he's so generous and faithful to me. But then I see that bill, or I see that need, I see that lack. And I wanna let you know, we all feel it. I feel it myself but he so freely gave to me. He has been faithful to me. And so my encouragement is to continue to be faithful to him in those areas, in those spaces where you feel uncomfortable. And most of the time, it is in our finances. And for some, it may not be. It may be in other areas. But in this moment, I want to ask, hey, give to him what belongs to him. And if you have it in you, find the generosity in your heart to start offering and giving beyond that wow, because he is in the beyond. Yes. Really good. And so I'm going to pray um, as you hold your gifts in your hand. Um, oh, also you can give them by putting them in the envelope, or if you do it online, it lets you know that you finished what you were supposed to do online. Um, I'll Hello? All right, we're back in. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's with us right now. I thank you, Lord, for your peace that surpasses all understanding. Father, I pray right now, Lord, that we will know that you are with us, Father. We thank you, Lord, for a spirit that is willing, Father, and we pray for us to speak to our human nature, to speak to our flesh when it wants to shrink, when it wants to run from what you're desiring for us, Father. We thank you for this message today, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you you have never left us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you are a wooer, that you call us out. Father, I know right now. Lord, I pray for the person right now that is free of the bondage, that the prison door is open, but they have not left the cell. Right now, Lord, I pray right now for a boldness to step out to walk in freedom, not to be pulled and manipulated anymore by the enemy's lies. You are free. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that is with us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.
5: Even with glasses, I still can't see. Church, would you stand with me? As we get ready to go, I just want to read one verse that Kyle already read to us. And it's Matthew 9, or Matthew 9, 9. And it says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew. Matthew sitting at the tax office he saw a man there was so many people there there were so many people to see but he saw a man named Matthew in that world there would have been other people that seemed qualified to see but he saw Matthew so today I want you to remember that he sees you you specifically you you, 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 you he doesn't Just see crowds of people that he hopes are following him. He sees you, and he comes to you, and he chooses you. I just want to just close your eyes for one moment, and we just want to leave this place with that holy awareness of his blessing over us. God, I thank you for your blessing. Lord bless you, and keep you, and may his face shine upon you, and be gracious to you. Lord, turn his face toward you. And give you peace. Father, we thank you for the peace that goes with us now. That goes beyond our understanding. It goes out before us as we walk through these rooms and we collect our kiddos and we walk down that deck and back into our lives, God. Your blessing covers us. Your peace goes before us. And your word will rise up within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.